Welcome to this episode of Profiles in Leadership. Super excited to have as a guest today, Dr. Kimberly Youngberg, who is the program chief for the Riverside County in California. And she's program chief for animal services. And having someone like Dr. Youngberg on Profiles in Leadership is a privilege and a treat because she's doing some pretty cool stuff out in California. Uh, we know that um, we've reached a social tipping point with animal services, and that is the community expects more from animal services. And on Profiles in Leadership, we're going to have guests on, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Youngberg through the Executive Leadership Certification Program, one of the first professionals in the country to be certified. Welcome. Thank you, Tani. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. Just talk a little bit about your background. I mean, uh, I I love snakes, and I understand that you have a keen interest in herpetology. Yes, I I do. I've actually I've been interested in herpetology from the time that I was a kid. My favorite thing to do was flipping over rocks and seeing what was underneath. So anything that was creepy and crawly was very exciting. Awesome, awesome. So how'd you get how'd you how'd you get into your professional line of work? How did you end up? being Dr. Kimberly Youngberg. What led you to, to where you're at today? So my uh, undergraduate degree is actually in history. And after sitting through all these classes where they were just constantly going over all these issues that were happening in the world around us, I really developed um, a, an interest in wanting to know what I could do that would make an impact. And through that, I found the public health program at Loma Linda University in California. And I went, I completed my master's degree at Loma Linda in global health. And with the desire to go out and, you know, make big changes in the world and help humanity in any way that I could. Wow, pretty cool. So, um, so through that, I had to do an internship to complete my master's degree, and I wound up uh, working for Riverside County in our disaster preparedness group. Hmm. And, um, and while I was working for them, they actually hired me after I completed my internship. Um, a job opportunity popped up, and they called me and said, hey, you're qualified for this job working for the Department of Animal Services. And uh, the job is as a humane educator. And I thought, huh, that just sounds really interesting. And and I went and I accepted the interview and without thinking that I was actually going to take the job and showed up for the interview. And as we were going through the interview, I was thinking to myself, this is just so cool. Like there's so much potential here and it's so tied to the greater view of public health and things that are going on out in our community um, that I actually convinced myself that I wanted the job during the interview. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and so it was one of those things where, you know, kind of uh, inadvertently, I wound up in the profession of animal care. Wow. And how long has that been? So I started in uh, for animal services in February of 2007. Wow. Yeah, and here you are today, 2019, in the first executive leadership class 
um, you know, basically like best practices in life saving, right? And yeah. You, you know, you don't have, you don't seem to have any, you're not waffling in your beliefs. You seem really sure about what you want to do or what's the right thing to do. How did you get to that? Well, and you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that I have never questioned myself, but I think that this is just an ever-changing field and there's there's so much work to be done in it and there's so many ways that we can advance it and there's so many ways that it's tied to the community and not even just animal welfare, but human welfare, you know, issues of social justice and well-being and uh, equity and you know through reaching out to our different communities with animal welfare i feel like we can also connect them with other resources that we may have Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's really connected to kind of social social issues i found the same thing in my career i spent 30 years in public service and i found the same thing yeah, I was, you know, I was in parks for the majority of it, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden found myself in a second career, and I brought those same kind of like values to animal services. I was really kind of shocked at like some of the dissension and that people that argued about like semantics and taking things really personally. Yeah, you know, in parks there was no crying in baseball. You were committed to doing the very best for the community you served, and your kind of opinion. I'm not going to say it didn't matter because it sounds like. A devaluing of the employee and it wasn't it's just that our mission our vision our values our strategic planning was set and one individual couldn't just totally derail the operation isn't that kind of strange in animal services how much dissension there is sometimes yeah i i think people tend to get very passionate about animal welfare issues and it really shapes their opinions and it can be it can be challenging when you're dealing with a field that's so emotional. And one of the things that I found when I first started working in the field, you know, and coming from a public health background was that people really kind of form stereotypes, you know, our employees, staff, or even, you know, just those interested in animal welfare, they tend to f- form these ideas or stereotypes about people in our communities that just aren't true. And you really have to get out into your communities and learn what their needs are mm-hmm. and how you can address them in order to actually fix the problems that are out there. Yeah. Um, wh- when I first started as a humane educator, that was one of the things that I really wanted to pull into it was some of the public health program planning aspects of what I had learned. And so we actually started doing needs assessments of different communities, you know, identifying where um, we were having the biggest issues with with animals that were being impounded. And and we we did a community, several community assessment surveys where we went out there and actually asked the community you know, what do you need? Are your animals spayed or neutered? Do you need vaccinations? Are they licensed? And we did it in a way that was actually reaching out and then turned around and offered the resources back. We took them back into the communities using like a mobile spay neuter bus and vaccine clinics. And, and, you know, you found that 
you could dispel some of the myths of, oh, you know, like people like to say those people will never change. And, you know, it's surprising when you go out and you talk to quote unquote those people and find out that they're like, oh, wow, you know, we can do that. Well, how do we do that? And and then also bringing resources into areas that are um, underfunded or you know, socioeconomically depressed. And we would have people that literally would show up to get their animals spayed or neutered. And they'd be like, okay, I have $15 in my pocket today. I can either use it to pay for the rabies vaccination or I can pay for the microchip. And, and so it, it was exciting to see these people want to do this, to use the what little pocket change they had to take care of their pets. Right. And and then be able to, to give them those resources. That's really amazing. How long have you been the program chief? So I've been in my current role for, I think, about five years. Yeah. And um, within that, I mean, I've worked in various uh, aspects of the department. Um, we actually completely lost our humane education program Back when the economy crashed in 2008-9, we laid off one-third of our workforce, which has been one of our biggest challenges, and I feel like one that we're still recovering from. And so I've kind of bounced around in different roles and worked, you know, creating and implementing and supporting basically all of our programs within the department. Hmm. Well, losing the, well, first of all, reduction in force is tough. And I went through the same thing in 2009 in Fairfax County, Virginia, when I was still in parks before I got in, uh, before I was the director of animal services in Fairfax County, or excuse me, director of animal shelter. What, um, losing humane uh, services, what was that? What did you lose? So there, we actually had a whole community outreach and education division and so that included our whole animal behavior team. It also included, we had uh, two humane educators, mm. um, a community services assistant, mm. and we had support staff that worked on our mobile spay-neuter bus. Wow, so it was, it was a lot of our outreach community services. team. Community yeah. services. And, and luckily, one of the things we've been able to kind of maintain from that has been our mobile bus program because yeah. we've been able to sustain that through, you know, different grant funding that we've gotten. Right. Um, we just haven't had as much of the support team to go along with that and, and really promote the full aspect of, you know, this full spectrum of services that we could potentially offer. So how many years have you been in public service? I would say public service wise, I've probably been working at least 20 years. 20 years. I've, I've done a lot of volunteer work and working for nonprofits and then, um, you know, working for the county of Riverside in, for 14 years 14 now. 14 years. So in a leadership position, how many years? In a leadership position, about 10 years. About 10 years. And you, you have such a positive attitude that's just so necessary, I think, in municipal service and public service. Tell me um, tell me a little bit about what your goals are for Riverside, because just the fact that you're involved in the Executive Leadership Certification Program, your positivity, you obviously are a learner, and you're so participatory in the program. Um, tell me a little bit about the goals and objectives in Riverside. What are the kind of things that you're challenged with, 
which are not unique to Riverside. All around the country, municipalities are facing the same challenges. And, and, but I want to hear about your victories. I want to hear about things that you've overcome. And I want to just hear about your goals and objectives. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I know. I just threw a lot at you. Of, of course, departments like us, and I think any municipality, we're always challenged with, you know, resources. Right. I, you know, the sky is the limit if you have the resources to do it. Um, I think one of the things where we've really been fortunate is that we've gotten a lot of support to implement programs that have been pretty progressive. Mm. I mean, we we really jumped on board fairly early with ideas like open adoptions, and and we awesome. re- we really didn't get a lot of kickback internally. I would say everybody was pretty accepting of it. Um, it was interesting because externally with other mm. animal welfare, I don't know if you would want to call them advocates or whatnot. I mean, rescues don't like open adoptions generally. Yeah, but, but people weren't historic. so weren't so excited about it. But luckily, we had we could you know cite mm. articles that have come out. You know the study studies, research yeah. studies and and uh, things like that to back mm. what we were doing, mm. and then we even pulled some of our own data on adoption returns that supported that research. And so we could easily throw that back at people. Mm. And, um, and so as far as that goes, you know, we've been, it's, it's been very positive. We've Mm. been able to kind of experiment a lot with different programs and, and narrow things down to what works. And, and I think that having restrictive resources has made us very creative too, in the way that we've done things. And so we've even looked back at, you know, how, how enormous our department was before the economy crashed and then to now and what we've been able to do, we, we've actually been able to consistently increase our live release rate despite not having the funding. And, and most of that's been through um, very creative program planning and, and not being afraid to take some risks. That's really interesting that, what's that saying? That necessity is the mother of all invention. And so when we're, when we're faced with not having very much, we get really inventive and entrepreneurial I, what was it? Was it the Apollo? What was the Apollo movie where they they had a box of just like duct tape and like weird things that was going to get them back alive to Earth? I think about that a lot, and I think right. about sometimes when we're just so underfunded and under resourced, we'd like just pull unicorns out of our ears, and we do this amazing stuff, and it's kind of double edged because on one hand, you don't want the people that hold the purse strings on the budget to so like, oh, well, they did this with that, so we're not going to give them any more. But on the other hand, we feel ethically bound to, because we're talking about live lives, right? Yeah. Of where they're leaving in plastic bags out the back door. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your live, live release rate. I, two things I want you to talk about. One, where were you? Where are you now? Where do you want to go? That's my first question. My second question is, do you think your background is more of a... And I say scientists, but what I mean is more of somebody that's data driven um, and that is like focused on science, right? And so, I, two questions. One, how has your brain and your background informed what you're doing? 
best practices, debunking myths and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then also, too, where were you, where are you, and where do you want to go? Sure. Um, well, as far as the science question goes, you know, numbers and data definitely do have a place in what we're doing because you want to be able to measure what your results are. You want to be able to identify where the areas are of need. Um, But at the same time, public health is also a social science. So you can't just crunch all the numbers and keep the humanity out of it. So I think that that has a great bearing on what we're doing and where we want to go. And as far as where we've been and where we are now, where you want to go, and where I, where we want to go, when when I first started with the department, I think our live release rate was twenty percent. I mean, it's it's really kind of like the the group of staff that we have and the managers that have kind of grown up with us through this process. We've all kind of come out of the dark ages and worked towards really. Um, turning our organization into a dynamic working group and you know currently our, our dog live release rate is teetering around 90 percent and we have a lot of room for cats but we're like everybody else we're under the gun with our cat live release rate but we're working on trying to implement um community cat programs and bolstering our foster program and where you at on cats and uh, working towards that well we we had implemented a community cat program at one shelter as a pilot and that particular shelter is at about 70 percent right now how many shelters do you have we have four shelters across the county of Riverside, What's which it? is also, I think, 7,200 square miles. So 7,200 square miles. How many facilities? Four. Four. And then what is the population of people? Ballpark. I... If you had to put it together, are we, are we talking over a million people for that that for that that square probably you know well i was just wondering kind of just musing on what the what the the people population is that you're serving so you got four facilities and how many square miles 70 it's either 72 or 74 yeah okay so it's a big footprint Mm -hmm. and so different facilities have different save rates but you were saying where were you on cats Currently, we're at about forty to fifty percent. And what's your goal? What do you where do you want? To Our be? goal is ninety percent. Ninety percent. And how are you going to get there? So we're trying to implement a community cat program, yep. um, doing shelter neuter return, trap neuter return, and then also concentrating on our foster program. Awesome. To get the neonates and litters and everything that comes in into foster trying to use like a foster to adopt type of a format awesome um to just get them out the door that's our big goal how you were you on dogs on dogs right now we're teetering around 90 percent for all four for all four shelters oh wow congratulations that's great and so what um what are barriers you're trying to overcome because I know you get tremendous support from your chain of command that this that success happens at all levels in the organization. And you've talked about that in the class. 
And you talk about you talked about that with me about just the support you get from people that you work with at all levels. Uh, people in in boots on the ground, people in the front line, and people that that you report up to, and so what are collectively what are kind of some of the, you know, challenges you're faced with, and 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 what you're what you're thinking about overcoming some of it. Sure. Well, staffing is always an issue, like training and keeping line staff, mm-hmm. especially getting people in the door, um, having enough funding to. Adequately yeah. staff for shelters continuously uh, yeah. is is always an issue. Um, Staffing. What about so like with fi- the, the how about budget? Because I know every community. When I was in municipal service for thirty years, my budget was cut every year, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because the board of supervisors or the county or the park board didn't value what we were doing. They were trying to spread their financial resources out for many priorities. Sure. I mean, it's it's always a challenge, especially in a municipal setting, because you're, in, for lack of a better word, competing with so many other departments for the same pot of funding. Right. I mean, with us, there's the sheriff's department. There's the Department of Public Social Services. Sure. There's, you know child care there's the hospital system there's the fire department so so it's kind of like okay we're we're fighting to vaccinate dogs but then you have somebody else that's fighting to vaccinate children sure 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 super important and so and and they're all important um but there's there is constantly that year to year you know battle on the funding that you're trying to get Right, because we're we're in my my experience. I can just speak for myself. I was constantly justifying my existence, and talking about the value I brought to the community. So I understand that. And what um what can advocates do that's productive and that's not distracting? I mean, because I I know what I said when you know now that I'm not working for a municipality, uh, it's a little different. But what can, you know, people that really care about stuff, I mean, what's your advice for people that are like, wow, in my community, we're not as far along as Riverside. I can't get anybody's attention. I don't have a Dr. Youngberg. And what can advocates do that's helpful to people that are trying to find solutions and working with very finite resources? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things that they can do in their communities is speak to their politicians, go to their city councils, go to their board of supervisors, take it from the position of we're trying to support our community's animals and increase the live release rate of our shelter and our shelters need support. And if enough of the community of the public goes out there and talks to their elected officials, they will take notice and just make making sure that they do that in a very constructive way. Right. You know, don't go in there all hot and argumentative, accusatory. Yeah, but right. you know, put put some put some real facts and data on the table and say, you know, this is what other communities are doing and we also want to do this and I think that they will take notice. Right. And 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 certainly anyone can go and constructively volunteer at, sure. at a sheltering organization too or for animal right. services. I mean there are 
there are always things where we are always in need of volunteers with skills that can assist in a, in a number of ways. You know, even if uh, you're too sensitive to go into the shelter, right. there's plenty of things you can do on the outside that would be a big help. You know, but fundraising, volunteering on, you know, a friends board or a nonprofit that can raise money to help with foster costs of foster programs or community cat programs. Or... All those are really good examples mm-hmm. of how people can be constructive and be partners, right? Yeah. With the with the municipality, city and county, and you know, government and. But, you know, partner and work with us because our intention is to improve, right? Absolutely. And so if you partner with us and you say, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to help you with that. What kind of, what, because the other thing too, sometimes people just have pet projects, pun intended. And those pet projects don't really advance life saving or help solve us with our problems. So, yeah, you know, for advocates knowing what the needs are. Right. Because a lot of times activists and advocates, advocates, particularly with animals are like looking for gotcha moments. Right. And that doesn't, that's not helpful. What's helpful is how can I help you? Exactly. So, um, what, what is your favorite part about your job right now? When you get up in the morning and you're getting ready for work, you're, you know, your eyes open, you're getting ready, taking a shower, laying out your clothes, you're drinking your coffee. What excites you? What makes you what makes you live to fight another day? I feel like I really have a sense of accomplishment and it's really exciting when I can start to see the results of a program that we've in- implemented and you can see the lives that are being saved. Um, and, and when you see other people around you also get excited about it, you know, recently we started a new partnership where we're doing more offsite adoptions with a partnering organization and, and just to see how excited that everybody's been in, mm. you know, we're taking these cats to offsite adoption locations and they're getting adopted very quickly. And, uh-huh. and so so everybody is just really jazzed about it. And so yeah. when you see something like that and, and you really start to see the fruits of your labor, especially in lives saved, or when you really touch a person that's in need of help, you know, somebody that can't afford to spay or neuter their animal, and you're able to help them with that, and they're very appreciative then you know that you're really in the right place. Yeah, it's a pretty special feeling, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. To be in that position. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for having me. It's really good to talk to uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things like yourself. And so that's a wrap for Profiles in Leadership with Dr. Kimberly Youngberg of Riverside County in California. She's the Program Chief of Animal Services and doing transformational things in her county and with her community. Thank you.